0: Now, while we were all snugly tucked up in bed at seven o'clock, I think Grace was uh, probably starting on the road down from Worcestershire to come and be with us today. So she's come a long way to speak to us. So we're delighted that you can come. You've had to leave your husband, Nathan, and little uh, Bonnie, is it? Your your three year old, is she nearly three? Behind. So let's give Grace a warm welcome, shall we? Grace has worked for Youth for Christ and uh, do some work with Alpha. Let's pray for her, shall we? And ourselves as we hear her message. I, I feel the Lord is saying that Grace, you embody, you're carrying the message. You are the message this morning. So Lord, help us to be attentive to what she says. And we pray in the name of Jesus, for the power of the Holy Spirit. To come upon you now, Grace, that your words are from the Lord and will fulfill what you want them to accomplish. Amen.
1: Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. How are you all? Are you good? It's so wonderful to be with you this morning. It's a real joy, and um, like it's already been mentioned, I'm married to Nathan. He has a plumbing business in the West Midlands. He's been a plumber for about 11 years, which is super handy. And um, we also have a little girl called Bonnie Ray, and we're expecting a baby boy in March of 2024, which is really exciting. And um, before I go any further, why don't you turn to the person next to you? So I'm so glad I'm sat next to you today. <sighs> Okay, inevitably, inevitably you have gone one way. You've chosen one side. So why don't you turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm so glad I'm sat next to you too. There was a girl, she was um, five years old. She had blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes. And um, she had a wonderful family, great friends, and loved spending time at the park and watching Disney. And um, one November morning, her life changed an instant because her mum was on the way to work one morning and her, her car skidded, flipped over four times, smashed into a tree, and was left for four hours as drivers drove backwards and forwards thinking that's just what it was a wreck until a taxi driver had a sense that he should stop. He got out of the car, walked over to the car wreck and saw this little girl's mum in a bad way. He rang 999 and every single emergency service fled to the scene. She was airlifted by air ambulance to the local hospital. She went straight into surgery, surgery that should have lasted four to five hours, lasted twice as long, as they realised on the table in surgery that she'd broken her neck. It was called the hangman's fracture. I'm sure you can work out why. In that moment, that little girl with blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes, her family were sent into absolute turmoil. As the doctor said, you've got to prepare for the worst. But this family were a faith filled family and they began to pray. And a few weeks later, that little girl's mum walked out of that hospital. And you wouldn't know to this day that that had happened. But in that Moment for that little girl with blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes, trauma had set in. Anxiety had set in. Hopelessness had set in. And for the following three years, every single time her parents were out of her sight, she would be fearful of what might happen. She grew up in church. She could have told you all of the verses, all of the Bible stories that she had learned growing up. But it was head knowledge rather than heart knowledge. Until one uh, evening in the summer when she was eight years old, she was invited to a church a little bit like this one to hear somebody a little bit like me get up on a platform and talk about a God that so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that night, that little girl with blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes, she ran home, she ran upstairs into her room, she opened the curtains and she looked up into the night sky full of stars and she thought this maybe just maybe there's a god and maybe just maybe he loves me and maybe just maybe he can set me free that night that little girl prayed a prayer that she'd never ever forget or never ever regret how do i know that because that little girl with blonde curly hair and red shiny shoes was me i said yes to jesus when i was eight years old and i've never been able to stop talking about him since it was a running, a running joke in my family. You just couldn't take me anywhere. Take me to dance class, take me to, to drama class. It's all making sense now. Take me to a petrol station, take me to a bus stop. I just couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. And that's what I've been doing since the age of eight years old. For 11 years, I worked for Youth for Christ, National Youth for Christ in Britain. And I oversaw evangelism for many years. And then for the last kind of six, seven months, I've been working for ALF. Youth Alpha, to be more specific. Alpha, if you don't know, is a space an environment where you can ask the big questions of life, often surrounded by food. (laughs) Let me tell you a couple of stories of some young people whose lives have been so transformed by Jesus that they too can't keep it hidden. Take Rachel, she is a 16 year old girl from the UK and at the start of this year she wanted to run an alpha course in her school. She knocks on her head teacher's office, her head teacher welcomes her in, hey Rachel how can I help you? She says I want to start a youth alpha, I'm a Christian, I want to give an opportunity to tell my friends about him. Her head teacher turns back to her and says well I'm an atheist Rachel, I don't believe in God. And so you're going to have to tell me every single piece of content that you're about to deliver in these classes before before you go and do it. So, this 16 year old girl, Rachel, sits in front of her atheist head teacher and tells her the gospel. What does her head teacher come back with? Rachel, I want to know the time, I want to know the day, I want to know the classroom, because I'm coming. She goes along, week in, week out, to an alpha course led by a 16-year-old girl in her school. At the end of the alpha course, this head teacher writes to her parents and says this, I've never seen faith like this in anyone. As a result, I want to find out more about Jesus, and I want to start coming to church. It's this year, the UK, God's on the move. What about, what about Tommy? Tommy is from Wales, and last September he did an Alpha course in his church, and he thought, I can't keep this hidden, there's a Youth Alpha course, let me use that in my school. So he chooses eight of his friends to invite, they all come along week after week in his school. Three of them become Christians and go on to get baptised. Then four of them, at Easter time, decide to do another Alpha course. And they start to hand invite to people around their college who they see, who are often lonely, don't seem to have any friends, often sit on their own. And they had 40 young people show up just before the summer term and complete Alpha. And now, as a result, know who Jesus is. And many of them want to know more. Isn't that amazing? There was a little boy, and this little boy um, went to his mummy. And says, mummy, if God is everywhere, is he on the moon? And his mummy thought for a second and said, well, yeah, God's everywhere, he's on the moon. And then this little boy came straight back. Well, mummy, if he's on the moon, is he in the ocean? And his mummy thought, I've got a head start. Yes, he's in the ocean, he's everywhere. And then this little boy came back again and said, well, mummy, if he's on the moon and he's in the ocean, is he in my tummy? <laughs> this time, this his mummy thought a little bit longer and said, well, yes, God, God lives within you. That's your tummy. The little boy turned to his mummy and says, well, God is really hungry, mummy, and needs a banana. <laughs> there were two astronauts who went up into space in the 1960s, I believe, And one astronaut came back from a successful space mission in Eastern Europe. And in the first interview, first interview, second question, did you see God? And he responded, no. The journalists in the room used this to herald the fact that there, in fact, was no God. First, um, an American astronaut who came back from... The first successful space mission and um, first interview, I believe it was the first question, did you see God? He answered, No, but I would have done if I'd stepped out my spacesuit. Different perspectives on God. I wonder if I asked you this morning, who is God to you? What your answer would be. I believe that God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I believe that he flung stars into space. I believe he spoke and light was formed. I believe that he knows everything about you, that he weaved you together in your mother's womb, that he knows every thought, good and bad, that goes through your mind. He knows everything that you've ever experienced. He goes before you. I believe that he loves you with such a depth of love that it resulted in him sending his one and only son. I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus the Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, this morning, would you speak in a way that only you can? Would your presence move amongst us? Lord, I thank you that your presence is already here. I pray that we would become more aware of you. And so, Lord, would you have your way this morning? Would you speak in a way that only you can? And would you move in a way that only you can? And would we not leave the same? Would we leave different as a result of being in your presence this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, This morning, I'm going to be talking quite vulnerably. I don't think it's already been mentioned, but I'm actually going to be talking about grief. I'm going to be talking about loss, and more specifically, I'm going to be talking about miscarriage. Not in any great depth, but I did want to give anybody in the room a full warning who may need to leave at any point or may um, need prayer either during or after the service. And I just wanted to make that really clear before I um, launched into what I'm about to say this morning. So it is going to be raw we're going to get through it together um, but i really had a strong sense that god wanted me to share on this particular topic this morning i thought i would look incredibly different in front of you today and um, because i should have been 9 months pregnant I should have been going into a week expecting the birth of my second baby. Uh, we found out in, in March early this year that we were pregnant and we were really excited. Our second baby was, was, uh, was on its way. And um, a few weeks later, about 10 weeks later, um, in April, um, I started to miscarry. And um, it was about five days after Easter. It was the Thursday after Easter that I began to lose this baby. And Easter this year was interesting for me. I've had a a lot of Easters of knowing Jesus. And I've grown up in a Pentecostal, charismatic movement, okay, where you often hear Friday's here, but. Friday's here, but. Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. And I remember this particular Easter being in the Easter weekend itself and having this question, God, why did you leave a day? Why did you leave the Saturday? What was that all about? Because as I read the story, the Easter story, it began to, it kind of struck me in a way that it never had before. That Saturday represented so much pain, so much fear, so many unanswered questions, disillusionment, a sense of abandonment for many of the followers of Jesus. And I remember asking, God, why did you leave a day? Why leave a day? Little did I know that I'd find myself in the throes of the Saturday just five days later. And I remember as I began to really dig deep, into the Saturday of the Easter story, praying this prayer, God, why did you leave a day? And really sensing the Holy Spirit's response. I believe really wholeheartedly and clearly that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this, because much of life is in the Saturday. And you too can find me there. And so little did I know that I would find myself in the throes of the Saturday just five days after Easter. And I remember praying a prayer as I began to lose this baby. God, I believe in a God of miracles. I've grown up seeing miracles, miraculous healing, like I did as a five-year-old in my mother's life. I've seen it. I've heard it. I believe it. And I began to pray this prayer. I began to pray a prayer that went a little bit like this. God, I believe right now in this moment that you can stop this. I believe that you can save this baby. But even if you don't, I trust you. Even if you don't, I still believe with faith that you're good. Even if you don't, I know that you'll carry carry me through this. Even if. And as I prayed that prayer, something really struck me. That just a few days before, I'd been reading about a prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's another way, if there's another way out of this, if you can take this cup from me, do. And then as Pete Gregg says in one of his books, God on mute, Jesus then says one of the most powerful words in the entire Bible, he says, yet, yet, not my will, but yours be done. So as I began to look in scripture at the Saturday, I discovered actually that we can find out more than we might, might first think Because you see, when you read the Easter story, there's there's only really a couple of verses about the Saturday. I think there's around 60 verses in the whole of Scripture on the Easter story, the resurrection story. But actually, if you look at the Saturday in light of the Sabbath, there's over twice as many, nearer kind of 150 Scriptures that talk about the Sabbath. And so through that lens this morning, I'd love to just draw out three things that we can learn from looking at the Sabbath in order to know how can we survive this Saturday. The Sabbath was a time to rest. It was a time to regroup. And it was a time to Remember so why don't we start by reading some scripture if you've got your Bibles why don't you open them or turn them on we're gonna we're going to um, go to Luke 23 we're going to start at verse 44. And then we're going to go through to chapter 24, verse 3. So if you just want to listen, you can. In the early church, often, because they were illiterate, they would um, just listen to Scripture, often close their eyes and just listen. So if you'd rather do that, then please feel free. Otherwise, join me. We're going to start at chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they had rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And they go on to say, he is not here. He has risen. Hallelujah. What I find fascinating from all of that scripture is really we only have kind of one or two verses. where we know what happened on the Saturday. Essentially, it says that they obeyed the law as it was the Sabbath. And so the three things that I want to draw out this morning is that the Sabbath was a day to rest, it was a day to regroup, and it was a day to remember. So if you're writing any notes this morning, those are the kind of three headlines, as it were. Rest. What does rest look like for you? to rest, to be, to pause, to stop. The Sabbath was the first day of the week. They began from a place of rest. They rested in order to work, not the other way around. And it's the kindness of God that asks us to rest. It was woven into the fabric of humanity. I find it fascinating that the Sabbath wasn't as a result of the fall, it was pre-fall. It wasn't postful. It was woven into the fabric of creation. God always intended the Sabbath to be a gift, a gift of restoration. But it starts with humility. You need to recognize first that necessity of the gift that is rest. And there's been a religious spirit that was present in Jesus' day where the Sabbath was an enforcement of the law. You weren't allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. You had to stay um, within kind of a 0.7 mile radius of your home. But even now, if, if you went to the Middle East and you, you went into an, like a lift, for example, they would stop at every single floor because even to push a button was, was seen as work yeah over here i would say not 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 always has been like this but but i would say that there's there's been more of a secular spirit that has swept across the west which where well, we've seen the sabbath squeezed out Shop, shops used to be sat, shut you know on a sunday uh, working 9 to 5 used to be the norm but now we're expected to be available 24 hours a day 7 days a week rest has been squeezed out it's countercultural However, there is a third way, God's way, a way that leads to restoration, a rest that is holy. What are the things that bring you rest? Just maybe think for a moment. Maybe for some of you it's going on a run. It's definitely not for me. Maybe some of you it's culling up with a book or watching a documentary. But what does it look like for you to rest in the arms of the Father, to truly Rest on the Saturday. A few years ago, I was speaking at a, um, a girls' weekend away, and I was speaking about the love of God. And it was a Saturday night. It was really late. I'd had a full day. It was about eleven o'clock at night, and um, I was uh, walking off the back of an incredible session that we just had together, um, back to my room, back to my dorm. And um, this lady, this woman, shouts out my name, Grace, as I'm walking down this corridor. And um, I, I turned to look and I said, hi, it's really nice to meet you. And she said, is there any chance that I could just share my story for a minute? I said, of course, I'd love to hear your story. She goes on to tell me um, her, her name is Sammy. And um, Sammy has grown up in, um, in a really difficult, quite abusive situation. And um, she, as a result, ran away from home at 16. She joined the army and she said there she found home for the first time in her life. She found family for the first time in her life. And she was actually called out to, um, to one particular war and she went there for, for about a year to two years. And she there was just with um, a group of other soldiers who she just really bonded with and for the first time had kind of found real community. There was one particular friend who kind of became more like her sister. Um, And there was one particular day where they went out on the battlefield together, but only Sammy came back. And she said as a result of that, she ran back home from where she'd run from because she just couldn't could no longer cope. she'd she'd, um, left the army and she'd gone to the doctors to seek some medical help. They'd been really helpful. She'd also gone to therapy. Um, But she just said there was no sense of purpose in her life, no sense of belonging. And that community that she'd had had just been stripped away. And she felt a real sense of loneliness. And she said that Her doctor had actually said that there was a local church youth group um, down the road that were looking for someone or, you know, some people to kind of go and help on a Friday night, just volunteer. So she said, I never stepped foot in a church before, but she said, I thought I could pour some squash. So she just began to do that week after week with this group of young people. And um, the, the girls in that youth group invited Sammy to come along with them to this weekend away. And she said, I've never been to anything like this before. She said, it's completely foreign to me, but um, I heard something in your message tonight um, about a God that loves me so much that he would send his son to die for me and that that's not the end of the story, but he wants to give me a life, not just here on earth, but an eternal one. And um, she said, but it's too late. I remember in the moment going, it's too late. What do, what do you mean it's too late? She says, it's too late. I said, please, Sammy, like, let me in. She's like, it's too late because she said, you gave an opportunity at the end to say yes to Jesus. And you said, if I if I wanted to say yes to Jesus, I should raise my hand, but I didn't do it. So it's too late. I was like, Sammy, honestly, it's not too late. You should have seen the relief on her face. I thought, gosh, what lesson evangelism 101 it's like it's not too late It's like we can pray right here right now looked like she's in disbelief I said Sammy I can lead you to Jesus here it'll be my greatest honor and so I began to lead her in this prayer and she she closed her eyes I think just to get a bit of focus and as she opened them I don't know if you ever witnessed this she looked different she just looked different And she looked at me and as tears began to kind of roll down her face, she said something that I'll never forget. She said, Grace, 12 years of therapy don't come close to one encounter with Jesus. There was a rest that she found in that moment that was unlike anything she'd ever experienced before. There was a love that she discovered in that moment that was unlike any love that she'd ever experienced or received a belonging, an acceptance. There's a difference when we rest in the arms of the Father. So firstly, rest. Secondly, what does it look like to regroup? On the Sabbath, they would have gathered together friends and family under one roof. Do you remember at the beginning, right at the beginning of Scripture, the beginning of time, the beginning of the story, that God said everything is good except from one thing. Everything is good apart from one thing. The one thing that wasn't good was for man to be alone. That we are made for relationship with God, but we're also made for relationship with others. St. Augustine says this, God is a perfect community unto himself. We are created for community. Faith thrives in community. I'm not quite sure how we would survive without it. Should I put it on this way? I'm not sure our faith can fully thrive without it. When we went through our miscarriage, it was our friends and our family who often got us through. The texts in the middle of the night, the knocks at the door with just a meal, sitting together in moments of Real deep pain and trauma and sadness and deep questions. And also moments of light relief when we'd be laughing together. Because you need that too. It was friends and family who displayed the love of Jesus to us in that moment. That made such an impact on the way that our story proceeded. It's really important I believe, in this moment, to ask yourselves, who are your storm shelters? Who are your armor bearers? When, when the Saturday hits, who's around you? Maybe you can just have a think for a moment. And if the answer is, I don't know, or, or, or no one, or I'm not sure, I want to ask right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, you would begin to move in our hearts in this room right now and bring people to mind. I pray, God, there would be conversations and relationships built in this room today that would mean that nobody leaves this room feeling alone. And the other question I want to ask you this morning is, who are you there for? Who who are you the armor bearer for, the storm shelter for? Who are those people around you who right now might be finding themselves in a Saturday? What is it that you can do to journey with them, to regroup with them, to hold them up when they don't feel like they can hold themselves up? To walk alongside them when they're struggling to put one step in front of the other? What does it look like to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Jesus said after all that people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another there are 59 instructions from Jesus of how we do that to serve to love to accept to strengthen to help to encourage to care to forgive to submit to commit to be patient To be accountable, to be devoted, to build trust, to be interested in one another, to confess to one another, to live in harmony. Not to conceit one another, to not pass judgment on one another, to instruct one another. But don't slander one another, greet one another, meet with one another, be concerned with one another, be humble with one another. Be of the same mind, be compassionate. Do not be consumed with one another. Do not be angry, do not lie, but live at peace. Comfort one another. Do not grumble, but yet sing to one another. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Who are those that will gather around you in the highs and lows when you find yourselves in the Saturday? But also, who will you be alongside in their Saturday? And lastly, remember. Firstly, we can learn from the Sabbath to rest, to rest, to be, to pause. There were many times when I was going through loss where I just needed to do that, just to rest, to be, to sit in the Father's arms with my questions, with my disappointment, with my pain, with my anguish, my disappointment with my struggles, my sense of abandonment and loss and grief. It was a time to regroup where people came around me and, and held me up and, and loved on us as a family and made meals for us and, and journeyed with us and prayed for us and stood with us. Cried with us and laughed with us and everything in between. But lastly, what can we draw from the Sabbath is to remember don't know if any of you've watched The Chosen, but The Chosen depict this beautifully. But on the Sabbath, they would have had the Shabbat meal, the Shabbat dinner, where they would tell stories of their past, testimonies of what God had done. Maybe it would have been Abraham or Moses or David, but in telling these stories and remembering who God was, they were reminded, they were reminded of who he is and what he can do as we reflect on the faithfulness of God, we find ourselves full of faith for the now and the not yet. How many times have you heard a testimony and it's ignited something within you? Reminded you of who God is and in turn who you are. It stops being a story just for them and there but also for you here and now. There were many times. And there still are many times. I'm still journeying the the loss of a baby. I'm still in the throes so much of grief. There's still a lot of pain and unanswered questions that I still have. It's not like a switch, right? Anyone who's been through grief, anyone who's found themselves in the throes of it, anyone who's found themselves in the throes of the Saturday, you can see that. But there have been so many times along the journey, and there will still be of where I just remember the goodness of God. And I've looked in scripture over and over and over again. You know, there's no one person in the Bible, there's no character who didn't find themselves in a Saturday moment. But also my own testimony of God's faithfulness. And do you know what I've found? That even this is... Even though this has been one of the most painful seasons of my entire life, there are certain aspects of the character of God that I wouldn't know in the way that I do if I hadn't been through it. I know God as a healer, as a comforter, as the prince of peace in a way that I never, ever would have done otherwise. There are moments, there are aspects of God that we can discover in moments of profound pain. So what does it look like to remember? Sometimes, more than needing a fresh revelation, sometimes we just need a fresh reminder of who God is. As I come into land, if we could put the last image on the screen. Does anybody know this image? Anybody seen this image before? That's okay. Let me tell you a bit about it. It's called Checkmate. And the artist was depicting the devil here on the left and um, a man on the right. And um, the story goes uh, that a few years ago, this image um, was, uh, was um, kind of put up, displayed at a world championship chess game in Europe. And um, the title of this painting is called Checkmate. Checkmate. And the reason being is if there's any chess lovers out there, it looks as if the, the devil in this picture on the left has won the game. And the, one of the world champions, one of the, the, the chess world champions at this particular tournament was fascinated by this image. And one of the days at this tournament, he stood in front of the image and he just began to look. He began to really um, inspect it for minutes and minutes and minutes. And it, minutes went by, maybe 20, 30 minutes went by. And suddenly, all, all of a sudden, he, he exclaims, there's one more move. There's one more move. The king has one more move people start to gather around him and and start to, to look at this particular chess match that looks as though the devil, the opponent, has won. But in fact, there's still one more move. And on the Sabbath, yes, we can rest. Yes, we can regroup. Yes, we can remember. But we need to remember most importantly that the king still has one more move. We see it time and time again in Scripture. Noah was a man in the middle of a desert. he never even seen a drop of rain. He gets asked, instructed to build an ark, and he does it. Most people must have think he had lost his mind, but the king had one more move. Moses, he, he had he led the Israelites in, in, into freedom, or so he thought, and he was approaching the Red Sea, but the enemy was hot on its heels, hot on their heels. And I wonder, if I was Moses in that moment, I wonder if I was thinking, what on earth are we going to do now? We're in front of the Red Sea. But the king had one more move. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, in prison for years, not knowing if he'd ever, ever be let out. But the king had one more move. Mary, who read about earlier, what a woman, a teenager who gets visited by an angel, Who says, you're going to carry the son of God. Knowing what that could mean. Knowing when she told Joseph what that might mean for her future and her life. I wonder if she had an inkling that the king had one more move. Peter, who followed Jesus for three years, then denied him. Just before he goes to give his life. I wonder what Saturday looked like for him. I wonder what the Saturday of the Easter story was was like for Peter. But we know that the king had one more move. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If you find yourself on the Saturday or when you do. Rest, rest in the presence of God. Regroup, get yourself around community and people who will love you and care for you and hold you and journey with you and pray with you and sit with you in the questions and the disappointment and the pain. But also remember, remember who God is. Remember his faithfulness, not just in your life in scripture time and time again we can be reminded of who God is that the thing that we need to remember the most is that when we find ourselves in the midst of Saturday the king always has one more move and the last thing that I want to just mention and I wasn't particularly planning to say this but I just feel like as we lead into response, it's important too. So if we could just have the worship team come up, is so that okay? And just sing one final song as we lead into response. I can't tell you how excited I am about this baby boy. I'm so excited. I can't wait to have a boy. we have got a beautiful little girl. I'm excited to have a little boy. I've been thinking of names. I've been looking at outfits. I can't wait. But this baby boy isn't my Sunday. And I'll tell you why. Because that baby's life that I lost, this baby doesn't take the place of that baby. I believe that that baby's in heaven. I believe that one day I'll see that baby in eternity. But we have to live with the now and the not yet. The tension of what it looks like to live here, right here, right now, but also of eternity to come. And there are some spaces, some Saturdays, where we won't find the fullness of life, we won't necessarily experience the fullness of the resurrection power until eternity. And sometimes there's a temptation, even for me, to say, This is my Sunday. I've got my story, I've got my box and my bow and it's presented and it makes me feel good and it probably makes you feel good and it sounds like a good story, a good sermon illustration to finish on but the reality is I'm still going through grief for the baby that I lost, for the little person that I lost that I won't see on this earth. And I say that because I'm acutely aware that there's actually a pain in the Saturday and, and sometimes there are things that we are going through and experiencing in life that don't always look like they, the resolution is a nice box with a nice bow on it, right? I just want to be really real because I can preach the Sunday thing. I can preach it good. It's actually way more familiar for me to do that. It's way easier for me to do that. But actually, I'd way rather be honest and vulnerable and open and talk about what does it look like to find God in the midst of the Saturday, in the midst of the now and the not yet, rejoicing in the promises that do come and the moments, the Sunday moments that do, but also allowing ourselves to sit into the spaces and lean into the spaces of lament, of pain, of questions. For anyone in the room who has always associated that with having with kind of having a faith crisis or moments of doubt, can I just say, I've got a strong faith. I love God. I know who he is, but I've still got questions. I still have pain. I still journey through things that are unexplained or difficult. I believe those two things can sit in tension, in balance, that God can hold all of those things, that he's big enough. And I believe as a result of it that my faith is actually deeper, I'm more intimate with God. Because I don't just let him into the spaces that are comfortable and easy. I'm leaning into letting him into spaces that are deeply painful. (laughs) And deeply sad and deeply costly. But is it worth it? Yes. Yes. So as we just come into a time of landing... (laughs) And just a time of response. I just want to ask a question, and it's, it's vulnerable. <laughs> in Charlie Mackesy's book, The Horse is asked the question, what, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? He says, help. And I just want to give an opportunity for anybody in the room who just maybe wants to say that very thing, help. I, I'm finding myself in the Saturday, I'm finding myself in the, in the midst of questions or pain or unresolved issues around relationships, and I just need to be prayed for this morning. I just need someone to stand with me this morning. And so why don't we just, to get a bit of focus and to just respect the room, can we just bow our heads and maybe close our eyes if you feel comfortable? And if that's you, in a moment, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. And what I'm simply going to do is I'm going to pray for you in this moment for the Holy Spirit just to move a minister in a way that only he can. And then after that, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity, if you'd like to, for me and the prayer team to just pray with you over here in the corner. If you feel that that you'd like just actually a little bit more one-to-one It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to share what's going on at all, mention a word of it. God already knows. But there's just going to be another secondary opportunity. If you just want to talk to somebody or you just want somebody to lay hands on you and you would like just to sit in this space for a little bit longer, I'm not rushing off anywhere and I'm going to be just to the side down here and I'm going to pray for you guys. And so is the prayer team. But if that is you this morning and you just feel like I just need a touch from heaven, Can I encourage you right here, right now, just to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that, and then I'm going to pray for you. So if that's you, just raise your hand now. I feel as well, particularly, just keep our heads down for a second, that there might be a man in the room, um, and you've really had a sense that you should raise your hand. You you actually do feel this, and it's actually a historical pain. It's not pain necessarily for a current circumstance, um, but there's maybe a hesitation to raise your hand or receive prayer. And um, whether you do that right now in this moment or not, that's okay. But I'm just going to... pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would just meet you. If that is you in the room, you know you do need a touch from God, that he would minister to you now. If you've raised your hand, maybe put it down and maybe put it out in front of you as a posture of just saying, God, I need you. I I need to receive from you right here, right now. And I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you that you know every single person in this room, and you know every single person, every single story that's represented by the hands raised. I thank you that you're not a distant God. In fact, you are so close. And Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to do a healing, a deep healing work in the lives of those in this room who find themselves in the Saturday. I pray that the God of all comfort would come alongside you in the midst of your grief and your unanswered questions. I pray that the God of peace would come and invade your current circumstances where you may have many questions and and real moments where you're unsure of what to do or how to journey this, I pray that the God of peace would come right now by His Spirit. He would give you that sense of peace. He is with you. He is for you. That He's gone before you. Lord, I pray, God, for where some of us might actually just need to let you into this space, maybe for the first time, Maybe there's been a, a sense of holding so much back just because it's too painful. It feels too painful, too difficult, too tiring, too exhausting, that we've just kind of kept it at bay. But God, I pray that right now, like a rushing wind, that the power of your love would invade invade those dark depths, those painful spaces that we've held on to, maybe not actually for for the last few months, maybe for years. And God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that there would be freedom in this room, there would be freedom for people, that there would be joy found again. Lord, I pray that we'd remember to rest, rest in your presence, that we would remember to regroup, to maybe say help when we need to, to to also be those people for others. And finally, God, would we always be reminded about the fact that you are good, that you're faithful, that you're true, and that you always have one more move. So, Lord, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you continue to work in each of us. For those of us in the Saturday, in this space, would they feel at home, they feel loved by this community, but most of all loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray.